0: Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. It seems I've inherited my mother's habit of talking to inanimate objects. These days, it mostly manifests in talking back to NPR. I'll be listening to the news while making breakfast or driving to work and hear a story, often with a sound bite from our administration, that has me holler at the radio, no, it's an unbidden and heartfelt cry of anger, disgust, or despair. Climate protection regulations are being dismantled even as the most deadly wildfires in California's history destroyed towns and lives. A weary migrant caravan of asylum seekers approaches our border and our government sends troops instead of aid. As of Thanksgiving Day, there have been 316 mass shootings in the U.S. this year anti-Semitic violence is on the rise, as white nationalists are emboldened to public action. So, so much yelling at the radio. It calls to mind the blessing slash curse that my dad likes to quote, which maybe you've also heard. May you live in interesting times. But I hear these stories and think that This is not the kind of interesting that I want. And there it is, anger, disgust, and some days a dark despair. Thank God that it only takes one spark to light up the darkness. One such spark came in the form of a Facebook post that went viral. Social media can be good for that sometimes. It channels one of my favorite scenes scenes from the Lord of the Rings. Someone on an online forum posted under the username BirdBlinder with this dialogue. BirdBlinder says, Me, looking at the current state of the world, crying, says, I wish none of this had happened. Gandalf, materializing in my conscience, smiling kindly, says, So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. There are other forces at work in this world besides the will of evil. The first comment on that post is someone saying, This is wonderfully helpful, and it really is. My friends, all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us, and to look for the other forces at work in this world besides the will to evil. When times get dark, I find encouragement from the late historian, Howard Zinn. I admire Zinn for not only being a scholar of social justice movements, but for being steadfast in his activism for civil rights, human rights, and work in the anti-war movement. Zinn was often asked, in this awful world where the efforts of caring people often pale in comparison, to what is done by those who have power. How did he manage to stay involved and seemingly happy? In his essay, The Optimism of Uncertainty, Zinn remarks that the mainstream media won't tell us about all of the acts of resistance taking place every day, the strikes, the protests, the individual acts of courage in the face of authority. But we have only to look, and we will find evidence of these unreported acts of rebuilding the world. In fact, once I started looking for these acts of goodness and solidarity, I saw them everywhere, so many more than would fit in a sermon. And don't worry, I'm not going to try and summarize them all. From what we find, though, Zinn says, we need to extrapolate and then assume that there must be a thousand times as much as we've found. He goes on to say, throughout history, people have felt powerless before authority. But at certain times, these powerless people, by organizing, acting, risking and persisting, have created enough power to change the world around them, even if with only seemingly small actions. That is the history of the labor movement, the women's movement, the anti-Vietnam War movement, the disability justice movement, the GLBT rights movement, the movement of black people in the South, and so much more. Zinn also advises us not to look for a moment of total triumph. We can see engagement as an ongoing struggle with victories and defeats, but in the long run, progress. So we need patience and persistence. Understand that even when we don't win, there is fun and fulfillment in the fact that we have been involved with other good people in something worthwhile. We need hope and faith. And with words that stir my heart, he says, is an optimist necessarily a blithe, slightly sappy whistler in the dark of our time? I am totally confident not that the world will get better, but that only confidence can prevent people from giving up the game before all of the cards have been played. The metaphor is deliberate. Life is a gamble. Not to play is to foreclose any chance of winning. To play, to act, is to create at least a possibility of changing the world. To be hopeful in bad times is not just foolishly romantic. It is based on the fact that human history is a history not only of cruelty, but also of compassion, courage, and kindness. What we choose to emphasize in this complex history will determine our lives. If we see only the worst, It destroys our capacity to do something. If instead, we remember those times and places, and there are so many, where people have behaved magnificently, this gives us the energy to act, and at least the possibility of sending this spinning top of a world heading in a new direction. And if we do act in however small a way, we don't have to wait for some grand utopian future. Zinn concludes, the future is an infinite succession of presents. And to live now as we think human beings should live in defiance of all that is bad around us is itself a marvelous victory. This is what we practice doing when we come to this spiritual community. We make this intentional space of courage and kindness and then take action using whatever skills, talents, and abilities we have to live now as we think human beings should live in defiance of all that is bad around us. Here's a story of just that, of using the power that you have to help build the world you want to see. Last week, Unitarian Universalist ministers Leslie Takahashi, Ranwa Hamami, and Hugo Cordoba traveled to Tijuana, Mexico. They were there with the UU Justice Ministry of California's border trip. This trip had been planned for months, and participants were going there to bear witness and to help immigrants and asylum seekers however they could. When these ministers arrived and asked this community, what do you need, the response caught them pleasantly off guard. There were eight couples, seven of them same-sex couples or with transgender partners, who had made the 2,500-mile trek from Guatemala as part of the migrant caravan. They needed to get married. So marry them they did. This is an act of justice, said Reverend Cordoba. The dream of marrying has been an illusion for most of them. We are helping make this a reality. They are fleeing persecution, violence, a number of really heavy things. Queer migrants often get left aside, but they have a unique experience, and we want to honor that, even though many churches do not. Love doesn't have a gender, sexual orientation, or gender identity. After having walked, hitchhiked, and bused through thousands of miles from Guatemala, Pedro Nehemiahs and Eric Dubon were the first of eight couples to be married on Saturday. Before the ceremony, Eric spoke with his aunt on FaceTime to tell her he would soon have a husband. It's really happening. Look, he said as he spun his phone around and showed her the altar adorned with white flowers, blue ribbons, and a massive rainbow flag. The ceremony started, and without breaking eye contact, Pedro and Eric switched between smiles and laughter. But the smiles eventually gave way to tears as Pedro pulled away after saying his vows to wipe his eyes, and Eric blinked as he choked up. Just the previous week, before they had even thought about a wedding, both Eric and Pedro said they feared losing each other at the border. They're hopeful that being married will prevent them from being forcibly separated in the U.S. But even though they aren't sure of how it works on the other side, for now they're happy just to have the option of legal marriage. Reverend Leslie Takahashi wrote of this day, Some days are just miraculous and unforgettable. Today was one of those. To stand in witness of the vow, to the vows of these young couples and to be present to such a time of celebration and joy amidst so much misery and hate is unforgettable. One of the event volunteers, Nicole Ramos, wrote, today love wins again. Today, the world saw that love cannot be stopped not by governments, not by homophobia or transphobia, not by organized crime, and certainly not by any wall or borderline. Believe in love. Believe that love will carry these couples through the dark days ahead and keep them strong and hopeful in immigration detention. Believe that one day the law will align itself to the right side of humanity believe in love. We who believe in love are called to show up for those who need us, are called to use the power we have. For these ministers, their authority to perform marriages, let them serve these couples in a beautiful and powerful way. However we can be of service, Whether it's pitching in with cooking, phone banking, offering childcare, or providing legal counsel for causes or people in harm's way, however we can be of service, this is an invitation to embody the world that we want to see. One more story also about immigration justice. I received this story from one of my Unitarian Universalist clergy colleagues. And to protect the identity of the people involved in this story, I'll call her Jennifer. Reverend Jennifer's church is a sanctuary congregation committed to immigration justice and has been volunteering along with many other spiritual communities to help an undocumented immigrant. This person has been living in a neighborhood church for over a year to be protected from deportation, kept company day and night by volunteers. About two weeks ago, there was a major breakthrough. Reverend Jennifer got to be present with a number of other faith leaders and volunteers from their sanctuary coalition when this guest walked free. Jennifer wrote, he walked out of an appointment with authorities, newly free from the threat of immediate deportation, out of the church, which was a shelter, but also not unlike a prison, to go live with his family. She said, I can't stop crying with gratitude every time I think about it. A caseworker told the faith leaders and volunteers who were there that day that this type of stay of deportation was really unusual and said to them, you did this. The authorities, knowing that there was a community presence over months taking care of this guest and watching ice, made this happen. Jennifer said, after over a year after thousands of volunteer shifts of people serving as presence volunteers around the clock, including at least 10% of my congregation members, after leadership meetings, and after what I'm sure was some conflict and drama and challenges, because this was an interfaith and multiracial and multilingual coalition, and I just have the sense that it was not easy all the time. The moral of the story, she says, isn't that we are heroes or better people than most. But in this time of shootings and repression, and the president misusing the military to meet refugees and asylum seekers, something different had power. In the logic of the world, it doesn't seem to make sense to spend so much time and effort for one person. But that's where, for me, she said, this kind of work is a theological statement, reminding me that, yes, every person is worth every effort. Every person is holy and precious. Every person deserves thousands of hours of community support if that is what it takes to keep them safe. The power that is among us when we care deeply for people in danger is real. The thing that happens when we both open our hearts and put our lives and bodies in solidarity and in care is something that has real and concrete power. That can have victory even when systems are rigid and even when empire is closing in. Jennifer concluded, I know that this hasn't changed the immigration system. There is still no real path to citizenship for all of the millions of undocumented people. There is still so much broken. And yet, and yet, we did this for this one person who is like all people, One face of God. My friends, all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. There are other forces at work in the world besides the will to evil. It is up to us to lend our strength to the forces of love, solidarity, persistence, and possibility. The future is an infinite succession of presents, and to live now as we think human beings should live in defiance of all that is bad around us is itself a marvelous victory. Let us live out our faith that every person is worth every effort. Every person is holy and precious. Every person is one face of God. I believe in us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email